We're talking this morning about approval. And uh, we started this series called Let's Be Real, Growing Through Life's Challenges. And we're going to hit a lot of really just kind of huge issues that we face and that we deal with, that we live through. And in and through those things, how God will minister his grace to us and grow us up in Christ. And last week was on suffering. So if you weren't here, pick that up online um, on our website because uh, everyone can relate to suffering. And boy, what God can do in and through suffering and the good that he can bring from it. We need to hear, so pick that up if you missed it. But this week is all about approval. So let me ask you a couple questions as we get going. How important is people's approval to you and approval of you? Whose approval do you seek the most? And how does God's approval rank among all those others? How important is approval, people's approval of you? Whose do you seek the most? And how does God's approval rank among those? You know, I grew up kind of wrestling as everybody does, wrestling with the sense of who am I going to get approval from? How do I seek this? And, you know, when you go through a family that divorces and kind of blows up, it kind of rocks you a little bit. You're not really sure what your identity is and where you belong and how you fit. Off to high school, off to college, still, you know, chasing a soccer ball or lacrosse ball or the attention of girls. And you're just like, how am I going to figure this whole thing out? What's my identity really going to be? Who am I? And I kind of like every one of us, you know, I tried to find that in the approval of the culture, approval of whatever group I wanted to be a part of at the time. And boy, that was shaky ground. I remember just like, man, it was a goal of mine to be really, really witty. I just thought maybe that's even better than studying. It's just funny how, you know, you, you just start placing your value in shaky things in the culture that you think actually will help you find your way and have an identity. And we're going to talk about that today because it's a very normal, natural human thing to want and to need approval. It's just whose to, to know that you have an identity, but who gets to name you? Who, who, who gives you that identity? Is that from the culture, from a group of people, from one person, could that really be from God? And oftentimes we realize if we seek it from the culture that it can become very dangerous and very unhealthy because the culture keeps changing. The culture doesn't let you off any hook. The culture says continue to stay at a high place of performance in your job and in the way you look and everything else. So from early on in life, I think we can all relate in those school settings, those extracurricular groups that we were part of, or sports teams, you know, trying to find our way, trying to find our identity, trying to seek out approval in a way that would actually make us feel significant, like we had a contribution to make, that we were valued, we were important to somebody, we mattered to even that team or maybe that teacher or that coach or to a parent. And that's a real nasty case of the normals, and all people face that. Are we going to be validated by this group? Is someone going to think I'm better than at least some majority of this group? Am, am I going to stand out? I'm going to, am I going to be someone? Am I going to ever achieve that? And we know from Scripture that it's not an identity that you achieve in the world because that's shaky, always changing, stress-filled ground. But it's something we receive from God. Now, the sense of... Uh, identity or approval 
the process of that is something that's very much a part of our culture and it's very entrenched, so much so that it's actually subtle. We don't even realize it's really there. To talk about it now, you probably pictured yourself in some of those you know, junior high or high school moments or college moments or last week or yourself at work or in your neighborhood or trying to get along with family members, you know, and you try to just keep adjusting and it's a crazy process that the culture says, you know, this is who you need to be. This is what will be valued. This is how you get ahead and make a name and a reputation and have an identity. And in this industrialized world, as we've, you know, we keep seeing knowledge double. How, how often is it now that knowledge doubles, so they say? Probably every, I don't know, a couple months. Someone first service said, uh, quickly. <laughs> I said, yes, exactly. It, it happens quickly. There's always so much more knowledge. There's so much more we're going to achieve. And, and there's so many more planets or, or stars or things we need to learn about our universe and about ourselves and about our bodies and about the world. And, and, we, and we're so taken up with our progress and our enlightenment and the industrial age in our country and even the modernization that we see around the world in many cultures, you know, just gets us thinking that there's just more to understand, there's more to grab, there's more to really be stressed out about, right? And we find ourselves looking to things or people outside of God to find our way and to feel like we can be secure and safe and have an identity. But that wasn't always the way it was, you know, in a lot of cultures, even some around the world that are more agrarian cultures that live off the land, you know, that, that have a community and everyone kind of knows their role, they know their place, you're a farmer, you're a carpenter, you're a, a whatever, you know, and your contribution to the community's health and progress is way more important than your own personal identity, that your worth came from lifting the community and the needs of the neighbor and the needs of your family. But now we're in a society that's become very fast-paced, very individualistic, very much about yourself. And the focus better be in this crazy world with all the competition, the performance. I've got to figure out how I'm going to compete and how I'm going to make a name and how I'm going to get ahead. And remember, getting ahead means that someone else is going to be behind, and we're good with that. We can look down on them, we can talk negatively about them, we can criticize them, we can judge them, we can push them away, as long as I'm making progress and moving forward like the world says I need to, because I'm in the culture, I'm in the world. So we have a society that's very different than many centuries before us, and even some today that live more simply with this idea that I am a father or a mother, and that's important, that I'm a husband or a wife and a good dad a son or a daughter, and that's where the value is, that I have a role, I have a community to protect, I have a role in the community, but that's the value. And in our culture, I want to say that that's rarely the highest value. The highest value often is, how is it going to pan out for me and mine alone? Sometimes we don't even involve God in that equation. That's when it gets really scary. But here we are being able to know so much about our world, to travel the globe very easily, and yet if you look at our society, we become very materialistic, pragmatic, shallow, and very individualistic. We want to say we're enlightened, we've made so much progress, look at us compared to 10 years ago or 50 years ago, all the technology that used to take rooms full, you know, the IBM days, and now everything can just be in our hand, and and yet what it's done is it's made us trust ourselves and look to ourselves and look away from God and become very consumed with self and how we're doing and competing in the world, and as a result, very lonely, even though we have 926 friends on Facebook. 
We have this emptiness and this loneliness because the world tells us that's where we find our identity. It's something you achieve. And God tells us in his word, it's something that you receive. But if we buy the lie of the enemy and the culture that we have to get our identity out there in the world, we set ourselves up for a very stress-filled performance, gerbil wheel type of life. Can't ever get off the wheel. Can't ever relax. Someone's going to look down on if you slow down and you don't achieve. You don't stand out. You don't perform. And the incredible news that I'm going to share with you this morning that many of you are familiar with is that God says, no, your identity is found in me. And we're going to look at some truths that will build strength and stability in our lives. Truths that we can build a life on, to build a marriage on, to build a family on, a platform, a foundation that you can spring from in a healthy way to engage culture and society and do your job and be part of that sports club or team or have your hobbies, that it all actually makes sense if our identity is set in Christ, if we receive that identity and approval from God and the foundation that's in him. So we're going to talk just a couple a few minutes about a couple truths. The first is to realize your identity as a child of God and then to live from that identity. To not live for an identity like you have to go into the culture to achieve it. So really simple. Recognize, realize that you have been given an identity by God and that's the most important thing about you. That is like your fingerprint. You are unique in that you can say I'm a child of God and I know that. And to live from that identity, not trying to achieve one or to find one in the world. So first, realize your identity as a child of God. A couple, just a couple points on this. The first is that God knows me. Your identity is that you're known by God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's a right that God gives people. I mean, that's the greatest right you have is that God said you could have the right, you could have the permission, you could have the opportunity to have a relationship with me. I'm extending my heart. This is the God of the universe saying this to you through my son. And if you would like to walk with me and know me and be able to make sense of the world and have an identity in me, you can. And it's actually your greatest identity because I'm your creator and you're the creature. If you receive him, you believe in his name, you become a child of God. What an incredible truth that sets a deep foundation in our soul. And then Psalm 139 talks about how God views us, how he thinks about us. I mean, now and before creation, how he thought about us. Psalm 139, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Does your soul, soul know that very well today? Do you know that as a secure truth that, that penetrates every fiber of your being? That the God of the universe, before he actually created the universe, was thinking about you and how he would create you in his very own image, that he would have more thoughts about you than you could ever, ever count, that he would weave you together and create you beautifully in your mother's womb before you ever came into the world, God 
was acquainted with all of your ways to come. That you would have a fearful and wonderful life as you walk with him. That he would work in your life. And that one day you would recognize the God who always knew you and always loved you. And you'd say yes to him and his invitation that he offers you in Christ. And then all these truths just go from black and white to technicolor. All of a sudden you realize God is always with me. Read the whole psalm. It's awesome. You can't go anywhere in the world without God being there already. You get there and you think you've outrun God and he goes, what took you so long? <laughs> like he's always with us. That's awesome. The hardest stuff, the greatest stuff, the valleys, the mountain peaks, he's with you all through it, through it all. And he loves us and he knows us. The world says, yeah, that's not really possible to have someone completely know you and completely love you. If you want to be really loved and taken care of, don't reveal the real true parts of yourself, the nasty parts, you know, the, the times when you're unforgiving and bitter and critical and impatient and when you lied and when you stole and when you lusted and when you did that. You can't let that be known. So you just let the best part of you be known and maybe my spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or someone in my life, you know, can love me at that level. But to have a God love you and accept you completely and he knows all the junk, he knows the dark side, he, know the, he knows the secrets. You go, how could, I, how could God love me even like this? Because what he started in you, he promised he would finish. You're a work in progress. Isn't that good? Where the sign? Under construction. It would help people be more patient with you and you yourself. You're under construction, but you're dearly loved. You're accepted. But he's growing you in Christ. There's like action going on in your life and your walk with God. It surely isn't boring. It surely is an adventure. You're being shaped into the image of your Savior. And God says he'll use all things together for good to accomplish that. But wow, God knows me completely and he loves me still. And he's always thinking about me. And he knows the thoughts before they come into my mind, the good ones and the bad ones. He knows the choices I'm going to make. But he loves me before the choice and after the choice. He says he's a shepherd and I get to be one of his sheep. John 10 says that. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus names us as one of his sheep. We get to know him, his voice. He speaks to us, and we can follow him as the good shepherd. I love that picture. Can you picture it? It's like the sheep are protected overnight, and the shepherd comes. And if it's the true shepherd, he comes in through the gate. He doesn't come over the fence and try to rob, steal, and destroy like the enemy. He comes, and he calls his sheep by name. So there were many sheep that were in one corral, if you will, or one sheep's pen, but that shepherd would call his sheep and they would come out from the rest and other shepherds would come for theirs later. But he knows you, you know him, he leads you. And he knows you by name. He's named you. He created you to know him by name and you've been named. What an incredible savior we have. One of his names or titles is the good shepherd. And we get to be one of his sheep to follow him. And one thing we know about sheep, apparently they're really dumb. <laughs> they don't even really know what to eat. And if it's like right in front of them, they, they struggle with that apparently. They, they can't defend themselves. If they flip over, they often can't get back on their feet. <laughs> kind of like a beetle. I haven't seen that. Other than goats. Have you ever seen goats when they walk? Those goats that fall over and they look dead. Anyway, that's what I'm kind of picturing is that if you were a shepherd, have you ever seen it? 
Well, they make those really loud noises, you know, those goats. But I'm talking about the ones where they get scared and they just fall <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. Trust me, it's, it's really funny. Anyway, I just go, like, sheep are like that. We're like that. That's why we need someone to lead us. And then you see Psalm 23. Oh, he leads us by still waters. Hey, it's time to rest. You need rest. You need to just relax with me and let me keep telling you you're dearly loved. I accept you. You're one of my own. And he knows when to get us up to take us to another pasture because we need to feed. We need to take that hill. I ain't taking that hill. I'm like, yeah, you are. I'll go first. You follow me. And other scriptures say, you know, that he's, he hems us in before and behind. He's our rear, like our, our shield and our rear guard. So he's all around, but he also leads us and he calls us forward. God knows me. And he likes me. Some of you need to repeat that. He knows you, and he really, really likes you. Right now, he loves you deeply. Not in a month, not when you finally get that thing cleaned up in your life, or when you finally get more committed. It's like, right now. You know what the motivation is for the things that God wants to do, that you know are good things, but you don't have the energy or real desire to do? All of that comes when you just realize, I'm deeply loved and accepted right now. How does that motivate a child when you give them praise and encouragement? <laughs> Little Henry was over last night, Julie's birthday, and so we had the family over, and he was helping her just take, undo the presents, like un the unwrap, you know, unwrap the presents. And uh, he got so excited. He didn't even know what they were, and he just started getting all excited. Right? But then he realized we're all laughing at him. He's like the center of it all. He just keeps going. I mean, talk about cheap entertainment. <laughs> And it was so much fun. I just realized, wow, you know, just to know that we're deeply loved like a child is in the pleasure that we can bring the Father and what the encouragement of a family does to you and I, like we're children of the Father, that we can hear his words of love and acceptance and belief in what he's going to do, what he's going to do in our future. Not with the world and competing and making it happen and being the man. And it's like none of that even matters. Just be faithful to the one who's whispering to you constantly, you're loved, you're accepted. You're loved, you're accepted. You don't perform. You don't need to go to the culture for the identity. I'm giving it to you. You're with me. You're with me. And I'm never going to leave you. Like, all right. <laughs> that's strong. That's, that's real strength. God knows me. And he accepts me. Look at this in Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Okay, so before he created the world, he chose me in him to be holy and blameless. He knew that I would come to him. He, he, he gave me the prevenient grace to recognize his love and his sacrifice and gave me the, the ability to have the faith to humble myself and confess my sin to receive him and to receive all that he is into my life. It's like, wow, that, that's pretty awesome. God accepts me and says that he's working out holiness in me. And in Christ, I'm adopted. And this plan was before he even created the world. He had this in mind for me, to choose me. And then Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who, who gets to be free of the guilt and condemnation for their sin. Who gets to be free from that? Those that place their faith in Christ. There's no condemnation any longer. 
Jesus took your condemnation there. The guilt that you could and should feel, that you, you felt before you accepted Christ, was on you. That's what the wrath of God feels like. You're separated from God. You don't care about God. You're doing life your own way. You, you maybe didn't learn about God. You just, you're learning about sin, and you're doing sin, and you're all that. And then you finally realize that the Father who created you said, do you want to be free from that weight and burden of your sin, that guilt, that shame, that condemnation, that emptiness, that you can be. And he offers you this life of no condemnation. He accepts us. He has a plan to bring about his holiness. We are even now standing in the holiness of Christ. Thus, we have no condemnation. We don't have anything hanging over our head in Christ. We are accepted as sons and daughters in love. Jesus did all that was necessary to pay for our sin. If that doesn't lift the weight of the world off of you, even just hearing me repeat it, you may have known that in your life, but when's the last time you celebrated that from your guts? That I don't, I don't have to face his judgment. I don't have to face his condemnation. I don't have to feel guilt and shame. That was my other life. That was before Christ. But now in Christ, I'm walking with a God who knows me, who's accepting me, who will sustain me, but I don't have the condemnation and the guilt issue. Now it's if I feel convicted over the sin issue, it's like now I can go to him for help instead of I'll distance myself from him because I'm embarrassed and I feel shame and guilt. That's from the world or from the enemy who wants to make you think you don't deserve God's love. Well, you already have it, so that's a lie. Oh, well, no, now you call yourself a Christian, you're doing that? You're still stumbling with that? It's like, yeah, you just remind him. You, first of all, you tell him to flee and you say, the truth is that I, there's no condemnation for me in Christ. And you resist the devil and he will flee from you and you get back to truth. And the truth is, I'm not under condemnation, but I stumbled into sin. Sorry, Lord, forgive me. And what does he do? Forgive you. It's that fresh forgiveness. You know, we have the forgiveness of our sin in toto, okay, on the grand scale, forgiven. But when we run into stuff and we're dealing with sin, we need to know God's not like, oh, I don't know now. Okay, maybe. You know, we just feel like God is like that. Where do we get that weird picture? Where do we get that? He's the father on the hill. He's the arms open wide. He's the one who will lift his robe and run to you when you can't even barely crawl back because you feel so bad, so shame. The shame comes from the enemy. It comes from our own weird picture of God, but it doesn't come from Scripture. It does not come from his self-revelation. His revelation to you and me and through the person of Christ is there's always forgiveness. There's always joy in his presence. There's always a welcome. There's always a hug. There's always, I understand that, you were hurting in your sin, not how could you. You turn back because you realized the sin was destroying you. God says, yes, and I did tell you that. That's okay. You didn't hear me or didn't listen or didn't, but I was telling you, and it's right here, and I'll tell you more. Listen more closely because I don't want you to be in that kind of pain. I don't want you to feel that, that weird sense of separation because I, I'm still always right here. Don't wander off anymore because I have blessing for you. And then what do we do? Well, we receive the blessing, and then next week we wander off. The prodigal can always turn back home. It's not a one-time visit. It would be great if we stayed with the Lord and walked in his ways, but sometimes we don't. And he says he accepts us and he doesn't condemn us for that weird pattern of feeling close to God, then feeling dry. Feeling close, really close, awesome. Went on the retreat or went here, spiritual high, and then you hit the valley. And then someone at work says something weird. You lose your job. Someone's upset with you. Someone lies about you. 
you stumble into a sin, you really struggle, and you just think, ah, oh, it's all changing now with God. No, it's not. He will sustain you. Look at these verses, John 10, 28, and then 1 Corinthians. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying, as that good shepherd, the wolves may come, and they want to rob, steal, and destroy. But I will protect my own, and I will lead them out. And remember, I am going to hem you in before and behind. I am your rear guard. I am your sustainer. I am your shield. I am your fortress. I will fight for you. You are more than a conqueror. And at times, yeah, you might get injured. You might injure yourself. You might injure others. But that doesn't change who I am, and it doesn't change your identity in me. Is that awesome? So live that. Like, that's the truth. Don't believe anything less than that. He says he will protect me. I will never perish. I'm not home yet. And no one and nothing's going to change my identity in Christ. And I'm not going to be snatched out of his hand. I can't even snatch myself out of my own hand out of my relationship with God. Okay? He said he'll sustain you. Take it to the bank of your life. He will sustain you. 1 Corinthians 1.8. I will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you started guiltless. Were you cleansed and given a new heart and a new life? Yes or no? Were you born again by the Spirit? You go, um, yeah, I think I was because I prayed that prayer and I invited Christ in my life. You were born again by the Spirit. You were born physically. Your spiritual birthday was when you placed your faith in Christ. And now you went from being condemned because you were in your own sin and you paid the penalty and you were paying the penalty and you're separated from God, but now you're united with God. You're re-adopted you're not under condemnation, and he will sustain you to the end so that before him you will be guiltless. Not that you didn't mess up and have troubles in your journey here on earth, but you're in Christ. His blood and righteousness covers you completely. The other divine shoe is not going to drop, okay? Get, really get that. You're in Christ if you are truly in Christ. If you sincerely, you know, confessed your sin to God and from your heart asked him to come in your life and lead your life. He can put up with you and me for a lifetime of our struggles and our growth. But in Christ, we're holy and blameless. And there's a day when he'll return for us the way he promised in great glory. And until then, he'll sustain you. That's your identity as a child of God. Are you living with that reality in your heart? Are you believing lies of the culture or someone else or someone who's trying to make you perform spiritually to get, you know, more approval from God? Do you look back in your life and you go, oh, I couldn't really be completely approved by God because I did this or that. I have this regret. I hurt these people, this person. Or I'm so wounded, I'm damaged goods because of what happened to me. And the Lord tells you, no, you're deeply loved. You're special. You matter to me. I know you and I love you. I accept you completely. I've forgiven you and I will sustain you to the end. And I pray if that isn't your identity and you don't know it, today you reach out to the Lord and you just say, Lord, I want that identity as a child of God and I need it. And you know if you have it with confidence in your life or you don't. And it'd be an opportunity to pray and ask him to come in so you have forgiveness and have that identity. Okay, so that's the first point. You recognize and realize your identity as a child of God, and from your identity, now you go live. Now have a blast in life. 
Not delight yourself in the love of God and the gifts of God and the promises of God. Now go challenge things in the world that aren't of God. Now go be of use, right? Do what you do. Because remember, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Knit together in your mother's womb. He knows you far better than you know yourself. Go celebrate you. Don't try to be anybody else. But go have a blast doing it and be contagious for Christ. That's kind of where we're going next. Live from your identity, not for an identity. An identity is something you receive. It's not something you go achieve. Does that make sense? That's a real classic Tim Keller thought, and it's really stuck with me. We receive our identity, and from that now we go live. And we let the the living water of God flow. We let the Holy Spirit that lives in us flow out from us. Jeremiah 2.13 gives us a great picture, a great metaphor for this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is kind of like a well or a vessel, a place that should hold water. Well, we have the living water. You know, Jesus is the, so many descriptions of him. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. And by God's Spirit who lives in us, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. But it's like having living water that keeps quenching your deepest longings in your life. Well, I'm not feeling like I'm approved and I'm not getting anywhere in life. And just like, oh, God gives me that. The Lord says I'm precious and I'm special and I'm accepted by him. And he has a plan for my life and he's going to work it out. And he forgives me and I, he pours his grace and mercy on me. And I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Right. The Holy Spirit reminds you of those truths. That is alive. That lives. That keeps encouraging us. He keeps encouraging us by those truths. That's the living water that will never run dry and it will quench the thirsty soul and the daily needs that you have. The prophet was reminding God's people, don't go out into the world and try to create your own cisterns because they're broken. You can make it look awesome. You can hew it out. You can be a craftsman. You can bang it out in the world in some way. It can impress other people. But you know what's going to happen in the end? It's already broken because it's not in God. You're trying to get your approval. You're trying to achieve it out there. You're building some cistern. You're trying to fill it with water. You're all excited. Oh, look at all the water I'm pouring into. Man, people think I'm something. I'm feeling more secure and excited about myself. Look at all the And then you, you actually pause for five seconds, and it's completely gone. All the water leaks right out. Well, that's not real good. All that effort? I don't feel any more fulfilled. I'm feeling empty. In fact, the pressure has mounted in my life to try to achieve this identity. I'm not feeling peace literally at all. I have no peace in my relationships, my work life. The world's stressing me out right now. What bomb's going to fly from who where? What disaster, what hurricane's going to blow through my life? And the prophets reminding the people of God as we're being reminded today by his words, if you try to hew out for yourself cisterns in the world to form your identity, to find your approval, they are faulty at the very start. They will never hold water. They will never bring peace, significance, and joy into your life. If they do, it will strictly be temporary and very shallow, and you'll need to keep performing to have any kind of water there. How about the living water of the Holy Spirit living in you, always filling you? How many would like that? How many of you would not like to think, oh, today I wonder if I can get that from the world? Just go, no, I have it. It's my identity. I'm going to live from this place because the Holy Spirit's in me. I'm going to let him help me make these relationships 
more God-honoring. I'm going to pursue peace. I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to do the things of God. And that's kind of the next point is we start seeking God's kingdom. We seek it first. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things, meaning the things that you need in life, God knows. Remember, the creator of the universe, before he created the universe, knew you. Then he created you after the universe, and you have life now, and he knows you, and he knows your needs. He said, all these things will be given to you. I'll take care of your needs. You don't have to go try to achieve greatness and identity and approval and go clawing your way through to get those things. You can be a great representative of me. Just seek my kingdom first and my righteousness. I'll take care of all those things you need. Keep your focus on me. Keep God at the center of your imaginations. Keep God the center of your evaluations about your life, your direction, how you're doing, how you're moving forward, what your plan is. Keep God and his righteousness at the center of those. Lord, will this help me build a better marriage or will this destroy a marriage? Will this help me build my family or will this take me away from my role as a mom or a dad? Will this help me build something into my neighbor's life or will this destroy any compassion or care that I have about any neighbor? Put in me, Lord, a passion to live for the kingdom and for righteousness. Seek his kingdom first. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. The Apostle Paul is speaking to these dear Christians in Corinth, and he says, He died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For your sake, with your name and your life in mind, Christ died for you to forgive you and free you and set your life on a, on a direction of fulfillment and blessing from him that will end in heaven, which is the greatest celebration of all. It's far beyond what we can even read in Scripture because we're given just a taste. There's a feast coming. There's a banquet coming in the new heaven and the new earth and all that God's created. He said he's coming back and he's going to take us home to be with him. And there's a place at the table for you and I with our name on it. Do you want to live for such a God or do you want to keep living for yourself? Do you want to live for the glory of God or do you want to kind of be half in? Well, I got to kind of make it happen in the world because that's just the way the world is, the culture is. You know, I can't. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I wish it was more for God. But, you know, no, just do it for God. Literally say, I'm going to seek first your kingdom in your righteousness, in my parenting, in my marriage, at my work, on that field, when I'm by myself, with my secret thoughts, with my public words, all of that, all of it in, all in for you, Lord. I want to seek your kingdom and all that. Because I realize otherwise I'm buying the lie, I'm fooling myself, I'm falling to temptation, it's going to take me away from you. You died for me, I don't want to live any longer for myself. I want to live for you. And then, kind of the last point under living out your identity is to seek his approval. Let his Holy Spirit flow, that living water in your life. Seek his kingdom first and seek God's approval. Galatians 1.10, For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul is, he's talking to the, the Galatian church here. He's defending the gospel and he's giving an explanation to the fact that I'm not, you know, the persecution that I'm now enduring and that you witness, the imprisonment that you understand that I'm experiencing, 
This is not for man's approval. Look what they did. It's for God's approval. I'll take whatever comes my way because I'm living for Christ and his kingdom. So the Apostle Paul gives a great example. It's just like, look at, because they were questioning his motives. How could you question? I'm not living for man's approval anymore. I'm living for God's. It just looks odd because people like your neighbor or that Pharisee or that Roman you know, soldier or whatever are persecuting me for this. But the message is right. Their response is what's wrong. The heart of God through the gospel is right. Their hearts are the ones that are wrong. But he's willing to stand up and say, I'm not seeking man's approval. I want to seek God's approval. Otherwise, am I really a servant of Christ? Maybe I'm a servant to myself and my well-being and my getting ahead. Good question. John 12, 43. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Whose glory do you love the most? And it shouldn't be even close. We should be shooting high, right, for the glory of God. We shouldn't be shooting low for the approval or some identity or some leg up from someone else in this world. We should be shooting high for the glory of God because he is high and lifted up, right? That starts to bring blessing. That starts to order your decisions and give direction to your choices, that's going to help you know what to do in your marriage and do in your family and do in this relationship and do with that pursuit. It, it's going to actually make sense of it all and start to order it in a way that pleases God, that he can honor and bless. Let God validate you. Look for God's glory and applause. Let him tell your heart, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done today. Well done. We hope to hear that at the end when Christ returns, right? When Jesus tells us that story of the master and the servants. We want to be that servant that we'll hear. Well done. We're not going to shrink back. But I want to say it's a great principle to live by now. Do you want to hear the Lord just go like, well done today? Like, you were faithful today. You didn't know what was coming? You weren't living for that applause? You weren't seeking that person's approval? You wanted to do your job well, yes, for a boss. But you, he says, work as unto the Lord. Not for man. Pick the standard up and lift it way above that. Aim for my glory, my approval, and you'll be a good person on that team. You'll do your job well. In fact, you'll do it very well because you're doing it for me. And that's the last verse, Colossians 3.23, that Paul says that. He goes, whatever you do, work heartily. As for who? As for the Lord, not for men. You're working for men, and you need to do your job and your job. Just work at it so hard and so much for God's glory and his applause and his approval that your boss will think you're the best possible employees ever, ever would hope to have. What a difference. Not just getting by, not just being a man pleaser when his eyes are on you, you're doing cool, looking busy. <laughs> you know, but then, whoo, I'm going to relax now. He's gone on a trip. He's on vacation. He's not here. Like, no, do it as unto the Lord because the Lord sees all that, all that. He sees it all. You do it unto him. He'll reward you for all that. He'll reward you for all that. That's seeking God's approval. So from your identity as a child of God, known, loved, accepted, and sustained to the end, go live. Go build relationships that would honor God and his kingdom and his righteousness. Go ask him to give you strength in areas where you're weak and you're stumbling and it doesn't look like you're living out of your identity. It looks like you're living for some identity or approval. 
to say, Lord, help me, spare me, rescue me from that and bring about a greater passion for your glory, for your approval, all by the power of the living water, the power of the Spirit of God that lives in you, not your own strength. And you're going to have an incredible week in the Lord. And you're going to have an incredible, if he gives you more than a week, add those weeks together for a month of saying, I'm walking with God like I never have before. Put those months together and you're building a life. You've turned a corner. You've reset some things. You're heading actually toward the kingdom and toward the approval of God, not the culture's unshaky identity. And if we did that as a church, can you imagine the impact we'd have in this community? How our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our workmates would see us or even respond to us and just go like, say what? (laughs) I mean, be questioning, be like dumbfounded by the changes that God brings. It's a pretty fun adventure. Let's enter into that adventure together. What do you say? It's between you and the Lord. So if you pray and just pour your heart out to him right now, he'll hear you. You have a confession to make to him, he hears you, he welcomes you. He wants it out of the road so you can make progress forward. So give him those things that are on your heart. If you've been living for some other identity, some approval of someone, some reaching for your, you know, your identity in the culture, just tell him the way it is. He already knows. And remember, he already loves you and accepts you, even, and even before you, you're coming to this place of honesty with him. He's already loved you. So honestly, open your heart to him. We're going to have uh, the worship. Jason's going to come back up. We're going to have a song together. Uh, we also have baptism, and I want to show you a picture of someone who's baptized last service. Blake, good friend of Sean. Sean baptized him. Sean's back there. This literally was just an hour ago, right there. <laughs> and uh, he gave his life to Christ. He recognized that his identity in the world was worth, worth nothing, and he let God name him, and he became one of the followers of Christ, your brother and sister, His eternity set in Christ, dearly loved and accepted, read his testimony, gave his life to Christ and was baptized. Praise God. And if that's for you today, maybe you're sitting here and you just know, it's just like, I I just need to act in obedience. It's just been, what am I doing? I'm putting off baptism. I I don't put it off. I could put it off forever. But why would I want to do that with this God? I want to live for him, not myself. So if you're ready to be baptized because you know you know Christ, you know your identity in Christ, Come and talk. Uh, there'll be either John or Steve will be up there and they'll see if you're ready. We got extra towels. You can go home with wet jeans. Who cares? And you can be baptized. They'll paraphrase your testimony for you so you don't have to worry about, oh, I couldn't say it real quick. It's like, you'll tell them, they'll represent it, we'll baptize you today in the name of the Lord. What a great day it'll be for you and in the kingdom as you honor the Lord in that way. Let's have a prayer and uh, let's keep pouring our heart out to him. Heavenly Father, thank you that you knew, because you created us, what our heart would need. It would need an identity and something that would never change, and that's being a child of yours. Jesus, thank you for making the way possible back to the Father through your forgiveness, through your payment on that cross. And thank you that it brings security and peace to my heart. And I never have to question who you are and who I am in you, but I can now live from identity as a child, a son, dearly loved, a daughter, dearly loved by you. 
that's not your experience to this point, just open your heart to God and say, God, I've never sincerely, humbly, honestly confessed my sin to you. I want to do it right now. Would you forgive my sin, my waywardness, my disobedience to your commands? I don't even want to know your commands. I barely know them now. I just know I've broken them. Forgive me. Come into my life. Lord, be my heavenly Father. Jesus, thank you for taking the punishment of my sin on that cross and for now shepherding me, always being in my life. Thank you, Lord. You'll never leave me or forsake me. Thank you. Make me a child of God, even as I pray. If you prayed that, you became a child of God this day and for all eternity. You've been born by the Spirit. That won't change. Your identity is set as a member of God's incredible family with the Heavenly Father watching over you with a shepherd that will lead you out and call you by name and provide all that you need in this life and then welcome you home. So tell someone you did that. And welcome to God's family. And Lord, for the rest of us, we just want to pour our heart out to you. Thank you for accepting me and accepting this prayer in my heart, my worship right now. So speak to him from your heart. 